Welcome to Feed Matters, Feed Navigator's new podcast series, exploring industry challenges, concerns and emerging topics. I'm Jane Byrne. We're looking back on a decade in global feed manufacturing with Aidan Connolly, CEO of Kinthus. He's well-placed to leaf through the pages of the decade that was. Having compiled a history of feed for the Journal of Applied Animal Nutrition in 2015, and as innovation lead in Alltech, he developed its annual feed industry survey, which kicked off in 2011 and has tracked global feed production trends ever since. Viewing history in terms of decades can seem quite artificial in some ways. There are always echoes of the past at the outset, and at the latter end, the future can be eerily present. Feed safety scandals were still casting a long shadow on the industry back in 2010, while recently we have seen commentators predicting the end is nigh for meat consumption and pressure very much on the feed sector to double down on sustainability efforts. What's your take on the decade, Aidan? I think it's been a very exciting decade for the feed industry and to a large degree the things that we saw that we predicted 10 years ago have come to pass. Uh, much of the innovation which was arriving into the business at that stage, particularly around at that stage phytase but other enzymes, uh, more precision in terms of feeding and nutrition and particularly the use of um, ingredients, not just to feed the animal but to feed the gut. All of those things have come to pass. Um, that said, clearly I also 10 years ago or almost 10 years ago embarked on my own uh, analysis of animal feed statistics and this was fed by the fact that I was uh, on the board of the IFIF, we're at the FAO and the FAO said they felt that there were no good statistics on animal feed production. And so I took the opportunity to use the network that Alltech had out there to come with those statistics. And frankly, we have learned an awful lot about where feed is produced, how it's produced, and indeed through the IFIF, they've made greater and greater efforts to try to improve the technology in developing markets around the world. Um, so I would say the decade has seen delivery of the promises from 10 years ago um, and clearly with the advent of digital technologies it'll be interesting to look 10 years from now to see how many of, how much of the promise of those technologies is delivered on as well. And in your time tracking those developments what, what regions uh, have experienced the biggest expansion in terms of feed production? Uh, not surprisingly but firstly to put, give you some background we were estimating the feed business was growing by 2.5 to 2.7% a year. Now, uh, that was actually pretty consistent. Uh, that was a global figure and obviously has taken the estimates of feed production to above a billion and now above 1.1 billion tons of feed uh, all over the world. It is true that the numbers initially were not as accurate. Um, they, they, these numbers are estimates. Uh, people ask, well, why can't you give me a real number for feed production? Well, obviously, feed production in a feed mill varies day by day, week by week, depending on the demands of customers, how many animals are being fed, disease, uh, etc. So there's just a variability in saying, uh, in what point in time did the feed mill on an annual basis produce how much feed? 
uh, we did those estimates we were doing those estimates in November December so clearly um, that just creates a situation where you're trying to say what speed is a is the moving train going at <laughs> and um, so it is an estimate but within those estimates Africa obviously was always a star and year by year and I know some of this comes from our ability to estimate better what's going on in Africa but nonetheless year by year it's clear that Africa has been growing albeit that it's coming from a very uh, distant last place in terms of the continents representing about four percent of world feed production um, other star performers India would be a star performer uh, that has grown tremendously uh, China during the first four or five years of our study did grow dramatically and then clearly uh, with consolidation in the hog business uh, in pig production and in particular with the um, with the catastrophe that is African swine fever we have seen a drop in terms of uh, the growth indeed even the total figure of China over the last couple of years but but I would say um, other countries to look for Mexico Indonesia um, certainly countries like that continuing to grow we would expect to see at some stage Nigeria because of its population to be a big feed producer but as of yet that hasn't happened the EU and the US is, is, is what's the story there and the EU has been de declining feed production really overall hasn't it indeed and um, it I wouldn't say declining but certainly stable it can go up from year to year, down from year to year. Last year, clearly there was a drought with cereals, and there was an issue overall with, um, I would say, stabilization in animal protein consumption amongst EU consumers. That said, uh, we do see, and, and sorry, with with the improvements in feed efficiency, that leads to stable feed meat consumption, and improved feed efficiency means, of course, that we need less feed. But China has also been absorbing more pork out of the European Union, particularly Germany, but even uh, the UK, Ireland, France, uh, Denmark. And um, so this year has seen an uptick in feed production again in the European Union. From a US perspective, the clear driver is the move towards the consumption of chicken, uh, pork, consumption is relatively stable I know beef um, is going through an uptick at the moment but it actually has had a, a decline so overall feed consumption for for the US is more or less stable um, we, we have made better estimates in terms of what's happening in aquaculture which turns out to be relatively inconsequential pet food which is still quite hard to get a number on and equine is, is, is pretty stable but um, I, I would say in, in, in the generalities, the US and Canada have not grown very much. The Most of the growth stories are coming from Latin America and Asia. So poultry feed really throughout the world remains the dominant segment? Yeah, if you, if you ask an audience, as I often get the chance to do, to tell me why people are consuming more and more chicken, of course there are eight or ten factors. It is the most affordable meat. So affordability, if you like uh, more crudely cheapness, is still a driver in terms of consumption of a protein. Um, if we move to the other factors, the fact that it has a relatively benign flavor, making it easy to add other flavors to it, particularly spices, 
religiously there are no restrictions around the world on its consumption so it can be consumed by Muslims and uh, the Jewish faith etc um, even within Hin Hindu countries we do see in dramatically increased uh, consumption of broiler meat it is uh, something that is very flexible many of the innovations around meat have come in the broiler poultry meat section not uh, not so much in, in pork or in beef um, I'd say the innovations in, in, in terms of chicken meat exceed the totality of all of the inven inventions or innovations in other, in, other, in other meat sectors. So that's driving the continued growth. Now, the predictions have always been that poultry meat would become the number one consumed meat by 2022. But now we're looking that perhaps that's going to occur this year uh, because of the dramatic drop in the production of pork meat in, in Asia. And how has dairy feed been performing over, over the decade, would you say, Aidan? Dairy feed continues to grow, despite some things that you read about the reductions in the consumption of, of milk. Uh, of course, that is milk in the, in the liquid form, and particularly in the traditional milk sectors, uh, they've all struggled. But the overall consumption of milk products is continuing to grow globally at around 2% a year, and you only have to see the Chinese government's concern and focus on having children consume more milk to realize that we have a long way further to go. Now, there is some lactose intolerance in terms of the African populations, the Asian populations, and those are important to, to register as well. But I think with the continued intensification of the dairy industry, the move towards large and larger farms... Uh, U.S., remember, still the, the average farm size is below 200 cows. In Europe, of course, it's even smaller again. And then you get into countries where they've got one or two cows, not just your Indias, uh, but even many of the farms in places like uh, Romania or Bulgaria. So I, I think we're going to see the move towards those larger farms, larger farms much more potential for not producing or not only producing their own feed, but also purchasing feed from feed mills. So um, I, I would predict that the, can, the feed production for dairy cows will continue to grow also by about 2% a year. Um, but um, that's, that's almost not because of the, it's, it's because of the move towards more intensive uh, farms. Now, the consolidation trend, to my mind, has been one of the, the, the kind of strongest themes of this decade. Would you agree in terms of feed milling and for, in terms of feed <coughs> manufacturing? Yeah, I, I suppose, uh, Jane, if I think back, I actually felt we were seeing greater consolidation 30 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, than we are today. There was a period when people believed that feed mills needed to get bigger and bigger, and that was the case certainly in the United States, definitely in the European Union, and even in other parts of the world and that if we had a bigger feed mill, we had bigger efficiencies, we could have larger storage of raw materials, we could you know, drive down the cost of feed per tonne. What's actually happened in the last 10 years is we've seen a move towards more specialization of feed mills. Some of this has been driven by biosecurity. People don't want to be mixing in uh, animal byproducts, for argument's sake, um, within a feed mill. Uh, with uh, species that cannot consume it or should not consume it, uh, concerns with the use of coccidiostats and potential for cross-contamination, uh, the cleaning out process that has to go on if you do have to produce a medicated feed. 
So the the bottom line is that you're seeing more feed mills clearly of the integrators. Um, if, if you visit a, a feed mill of a Tyson Foods or a Pilgrim's Pride JBS, you're probably going to see them producing about six feeds, uh, two, two for breeders and four for broilers. Um, if you think of uh, turkey feed mills, uh, not that much more. And indeed, even in pork production, despite the discussions about phase feeding and what we could do in different ways to try to uh, create a more most sophisticated precision uh, nutrition delivery systems. In fact, um, the numbers of feeds are relatively kept simple, and the feed mill focuses on volume through the feed mill and not getting involved in producing side feeds for specialists or smaller, smaller consumers, smaller producers. You've mentioned there the milling side of things, but what about feed processing technological developments over the decade? Uh, anything to comment there? Has there been much evolution in, in, in this area? as a, let's call it, broader sense, uh, uh, outside viewer of, 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 of the technology, have been surprised we haven't made more progress. We have certainly refined what we do. When we move towards these single species feed mills, um, that also, by the way, means that the feed mill is much closer to the customers. So instead of delivering feed, oh, 120 miles, 200 kilometers, the tendency now is to deliver the feed 25 miles, 40 kilometers maximum. So the feed mills are very much close to the customer, not close to a byproduct source or close to a river or close to a railway. Um, the technology to process those feeds as a result, I think, has focused also on efficiencies of use of steam, use of energy, and trying to get things done as quickly as possible. I know back 10 years ago, I would have predicted that we were going to focus on pellet quality, but I think a lot of the um, people around the world have taken the US model, which is, um, I would call good enough. In other words, produce a pellet which holds together the nutrients, which makes sure that you don't have a, a, a loss or dispersion of the nutrients of the wrong animals getting too much or too little. Uh, but at the same time, the cost of getting the feed through that, through that feed process is a number that everybody focuses on. And as such, um, volume and throughput are probably as critical as the quality of the pellet. But isn't environmental pressure on, on, the, on the industry and therefore on manufacturing mounting, Aidan? I don't think we've seen the full, the full impact of that yet. But I would agree with you entirely, it is coming. And I think that um, if you and I, and I, well, if when we had had this conversation 10 years ago, um, not to show our age or anything, I, I know that um, the, the discussion about climate change was something that feed industry would say, well, that's none of our concern. Um, the concerns about uh, what consumers thought about sustainability of animal feed production are indeed um, what they thought about our, our, our environmental footprint. Those just weren't things we were particularly focused on. There were some pioneers out there doing it. I met some companies in France or even in, in Brazil and China that were, that were certainly visionary in terms of what they were trying to do. But I think for the most part, people's focus on sustainability was the sustainability of staying in business, the sustainability of doing things that also helped you to reduce your costs. Um, it is going to be front and center for the next decade. And I accept your point that these things are incremental and the decade can be seen in terms of lots of little different pieces or lots of little different uh, segments. But it's just so clear that um, there's a ramping up, admittedly, 
with people who don't fully understand agriculture for the ramping up of their focus on everything we do and the feed mill, feeding milling industry will not escape from that. Now we haven't spoken really about feed safety in any to any extent. Um, I mean, how dominant has that been in the last 10 years? I would feel that feed safety continues to get better and better. I think that's really a testament to the industry and what it's done uh, to eliminate pathogens from feed, to eliminate toxins, to reduce the risk of contamination of food uh, eventually uh, through the vector of, of, of feed production. But the realities are that we're also facing a regulatory environment which is increasingly hostile. And it's hostile because technology is getting better. Uh, technology allows you to see what levels of toxicity are in the feed, not at parts per, per thousand or even parts per million, but now sometimes parts per billion or parts per trillion. If you stand back and say to a regulatory authority, as I've had the opportunity to do, um, how do you feel about this uh, this level being whatever it is? Too often what I hear is, well, if that's toxic and it's in the feed, we don't want it there. Now that's completely un unattainable with many of the things that are just naturally occurring in crops or, or, or nutrients that, we're, that we have to feed to our animals. But um, it is something that, again, we have to be aware of as the technology allowing us to analyze at lower and lower levels and to understand even the cross-toxicity, uh, for example, in the area of mycotoxins, those things are just going to play into, in my view, uh, real challenges for the industry to meet um, what sometimes seems like an impossible task of being completely free of anything that could do any damage to the animal or, or a consumer. And talking about feed being free of components, what about the, the drive to, to move away from antibiotics? That, that's, we've certainly seen that play out in the US. Definitely so. And, and I think a lot of people, again, I can remember conversations I had 10 years ago, a lot of people did not see this coming, probably because they were focused on the role of government. And in the US, the drive to remove antibiotics has been very much through organizations like Chick-fil-A, um, Panera, Chipotle, and of course, uh, although they don't always make a big deal of it, I think McDonald's has certainly been a leader in, um, in best practices. And that has led um, the others, the other major consumers, KFC, Wendy's, uh, Burger King, uh, the restaurant chains, even the, the, the supermarkets, to scramble to try to be uh, as good as, as the standards being set by everybody else. I think the good things are that from a US perspective, I would say that they are world leader now in knowledge about how to use antibiotics, when to use antibiotics, and how to avoid using them when it's not necessary. Um, the, the, the flip side of that is that we're starting to get into some areas that did not occur when the Europeans uh, instituted their ban back in the early 2000s. Uh, and those include the restrictions on coccidiostats, which of course are catastrophic from a poultry perspective because working without coccidiostats is very challenging. Now, there are, I, I, I in my time in Alltech worked on, on areas that involved natural coccidiostats, the advent of vaccines, those have been getting better and our knowledge about how to use them. But nonetheless, um, I think it's a harbinger of what's coming next when you see how not being in control of the agenda and allowing food organizations, food retailers or consumers of our produce to decide what goes into the feed or doesn't go into the feed 
it makes it very difficult to control uh, what their demands are. And we see that with the, the, the ban on zinc oxide uh, in piglet uh, feed as well, well the, the pending ban. Entirely, and, and in my view, completely predictable. You know, it's not as though we haven't had conversations, I would say even for 25 years, about how could we reduce zinc oxide. If you're running a fermentation of any sort and you throw in enough, well, not enough, not even that much zinc oxide, you can pretty well effectively sterilize or shut down the fermentation. So, so we've known the antimicrobial effects of zinc oxide are extremely uh, effective. We've known the potential for concerns from an environmental perspective about it and copper being excreted into the environment because of the high levels we use in feed. And we've also known that the alternatives have not been easy to use. If they, if they were easy to use, I think people would have embraced them already. But, but we're, in, we're in a situation now in a scenario where the use of zinc oxide, in my view, needs to come out of feed, uh, certainly at the uh, pharmacological levels we've been using. A lot of this is not just being driven in terms of what we see, uh, for let's say, in the European Union, but even countries like China are taking this extremely seriously and implementing legislation to make sure that that goes forward at, at very, very quickly. Just to sum up uh, then, Aidan, um, what should be the future focus of the feed industry? Well, I, 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 I've said this a couple of times, meaning maybe twice, <laughs> and um, I'm not sure people want to listen to it, but I'll, but I'll repeat it again. I, I think we've spent the last, what would you call it, 150 years of the feed industry focused on metal, cement, and real estate. And by that, I mean the construction of feed mills, the construction of feed mills that are fit for purpose. In many, in the early days, we made them bigger and bigger. Now we're making them more and more specialized. Um, we've obviously been concerned about their value in terms of where they are located because we focus on the land that they're situated on. But with so many feed mills running at the low capacity, I can't believe, or should I say more positively, I do believe that we're going to see digital platforms for the commercialization of feed from farm to farm. Uh, so farmers, in other words, not being loyal to particular feed brands, but being going through a platform to get the feed they want made by whichever feed mill at the price they want. Um, I, I think that's an inevitable part of where we're going next. Um, secondarily, digitization of information through companies like the company I'm working with at the moment, Cantus. Um, so camera sensors to collect information on dairy cows or other animals and then feeding that back into nutrition, doing the same with sensors that are attached to the animals to measure their movement, to measure how much time they're spending feeding, uh, to measure disease, again feeding that back into the nutritional programs in real time. Clearly we've seen greater acceptance and use of NIR that existed 10 years ago, you know, what's coming next? Gene editing of crops uh, through technologies like CRISPR is a, is, is a big part of where we're going. And then the robotics of processing animals, um, milking cows, collecting eggs, and what you can do to collect information using artificial intelligence. Um, and then again, feeding that back to say, our nutrition has to change. Instead of changing it weeks or months later, we're changing it minutes or seconds later. So the next 10 years are going to see a digital transformation, a digital revolution, and I think that's going to disrupt every aspect of the way feed is produced and has been produced 
So actually, I think the next 10 years will be more disruptive than the decade that we've just seen. Um, and certainly, I, I, I'm very excited by that, that you could gather from what I'm doing with startups and advising even larger organizations. I, I think that that's where, that's where the excitement of the feed industry is going to be in the future.